Get ready for the most listened to sports podcast in Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm Evan Grant, and this is Balls. I'm Kevin Sherrington, and in this episode, we're going to talk about the Cowboys. You know, we're on Facebook and Twitter, too. Just search Ballsy Podcast. That's Ballsy with a Z. Hello, everybody, and welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington. Joining me in the studio is David Moore, and on the line with us now is the one and only draft expert, Dane Brugler. Dane, thanks for coming in. Of course, anytime, guys. Dane, now, I don't know if you, you give grades. I don't know what kind of teacher you are, but if you do give grades to these drafts, what, what did you give the Cowboys for what they did? Uh, you know, I don't do grades, but what I do uh, do is uh, I go through all 32 teams, and every year I pick out my five favorite draft classes, uh, the teams that I thought did the best uh, based on the players they added, based on the value of when the players were drafted, um, and just maximizing each pick. And uh, for the first time since I've been doing this, uh, really since the last four or five years, the Cowboys made my top five. Uh, really, really liked what they did, uh, starting with uh, Leighton Van Dresch in the first. Uh, I'm, I'm a fan of what he, not only what he is, but what he will become uh, for this team. Uh, Connor Williams in a second was just an absolute steal at that point. Uh, it made a lot of sense for this team. And Gallup in the third round, uh, I thought this was this was a strong wide receiver group on day two, second, third round. Uh, I thought they there's a good chance they might go wide receiver in the second. They would wait till the third, and they still get a really good player. It would not surprise me at all if by the end of this season we're talking about Gallup as a top wide receiver on the Cowboys roster. Dane, do you think when you when you look at this, especially the second and third round, since you just uh, touched on that? Uh, this organization has been criticized for a long time for its uh, lack of discipline uh, and, and kind of random nature in, in how it goes about the draft. But you look at those second and third picks particularly. I, I think, you know, Connor Williams, there was a big break in talent plateau down to the next offensive lineman taken. So they sat there right at the end of that, took him. Uh, Michael Gallup, I know the Cowboys were saying in, in their assessment, there was a cluster of wide receivers there. He was the last one of the group. So if they hadn't have taken those players at those two spots, there was going to be a big drop down for them. Can you talk a little bit about the, the, the patience and the discipline that allowed them to sit there, make those picks when they're right on the cusp and not be nervous and, and, and jump up and give up something later in the draft in order to jump up a few spots for players they were able to sit there and get? Yeah, and I think, yeah, and really that's been not being able to capitalize on the, on the day two picks, you know, because with top 100 draft picks, rounds one through three, those should be starters on your football team. And, yeah, they've hit in the past with, you know, Sean Lee and uh, a few other day two picks, but for the most part, they haven't maximized those picks. And I think last year what they did on day two, uh, staying put, and coming away with Wuzier, Jordan Lewis, I think that really gave them a little bit of confidence um, about what, what what their plan is, sticking to the plan, trusting it, and uh, I think that served them well this year because they stayed put, and uh, Connor Williams uh, fell to them at number 50 overall, which I don't think anybody saw happening. I, there was a chance he would fall out of the first round, but, uh, yeah, you mentioned the drop-off after Connor Williams, and I, offensive line, if you don't get it one early, you're gonna you're gonna be left without one uh, later on, and so they were lucky to get Connor Williams at 50, and 
and I think he's a, he's just he's the perfect fit for this team. Not only is he uh, you know a DFW native, but his tackle guard versatility I think is going to be key. Uh, I think they're going to you know probably look at him as a left guard uh, early on. But if a scenario happened during the season where uh, you know Tyron Smith goes down, you know they could realistically kick Connor Williams a left tackle if that's what they wanted to do, or. Uh, and, and move Lyle, Lyle Collins, the left guard, Cameron Fleming, the right tackle, if that's what they wanted to do. So Connor Williams gives them options. And so, uh, you know, I, I give them a lot of credit for staying put at 50 and trusting that he would be there because, uh, again, offensive linemen, they don't last very long, really talented ones. And I think Connor Williams is a talented one. And then Gallup, uh, you know, you mentioned he was kind of last of that, that cluster of wide receivers. Uh, you know, there was a, a, a big mix of those guys, you know, James Washington from Oklahoma State. DJ Chark, LSU, Christian Kirk, A and M, uh, but they they stayed put and uh, you know, they got a really good player at eight one overall. A player who is not going to really jump off the charts in terms of size, speed, and just the athletic traits, but he's very polished. He understands uh, the route running technique. He understands what to do with the stem of routes. He locates well. He's very good at fifty fifty. Uh, situations, and so I'm eager to see the chemistry that him and Dak can develop uh, once we get in training camp. You know, when you look at this team, and of course we're trying to make judgments about guys who haven't even stepped foot on a on a professional football field yet, um, so obviously you need to give them some time. But when you look at this team, it, it seems to me that this draft, not maybe the ceiling is not real high on all these guys, but it seems like there's a lot of guys who can play. Uh, is that the way this looks, or do you think that there is, is there a lot of Pro Bowl potential in, in any of these guys? Yeah, no, I think what you said is fair. I think you look at these guys and you see uh, cogs in the overall machine. You know, guys that, uh, you know, I don't know if Connor Williams will ever make a Pro Bowl, but I think he's going to be a, a reliable, steady player for this team uh, for the foreseeable future. Same thing with Michael Gallup. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, the Cowboys have been criticized quite a bit for not surrounding uh, Dak Prescott with more talent at the skill position. Uh, and, you know, we'll see what Alan Hearns, what he provides. Uh, and Michael Gallup, he might emerge as the top receiver on this team, but he's not that true number one type of player. That's just not, not, his, uh, not, not his skill set. At least that's not what we foresee. Leighton Vanderesh is the is the one you look at, obviously being a first round pick, top twenty uh, overall. And you look at him and you think, okay, we we understand what he is. We understand he's going to get better. I think the question is, how much better will he get, and what type of impact would that look like? Because last year, at Boise State, one hundred and forty tackles uh, in his first year as a starter, really just kind of scratching the surface of what he can be. Uh, I'm very eager to track Leighton Vanderesh's career. And if I'm a Cowboys fan, I'm excited about Vanderesh and what he can grow into because there's so much ability there. Uh, he's a great kid. Uh, I think that, like I said, when you watched him, the light bulb just illuminated more and more and more um, as he got more reps, got more experience. And so I think you're looking at the starting Mike linebacker uh, pretty quickly, if not from you know the opening. Uh, season or week one uh, next season. So I'm eager to watch him. I, I do think he has Pro Bowl potential, but he would be the only one of this group that I think you could really point to and feel confident saying that about. Lane, when you assess players, does it does it give you pause or, or do you hesitate at all when, like you say, Leighton Vandresh had outstanding numbers last year, but it was his first year as a starter. And, and clearly the, 
the arc was going in one direction. I get that. But do you, when you, when a player has only one good year of tape in, in college, how do you weigh that in your assessment of him and, and where he should go? Yeah, that's definitely part of it. Um, and ideally, you'd love these guys to be three, four-year starters, have that vast resume of production. Um, it just it doesn't always happen like that. And I mean, they've earned numerous examples throughout the league um, of guys who came in uh, who were drafted with only one year of experience. And I think you have to look at the the background and figure out, okay, well, why didn't he get on the field? And you, you look at Van Der Esch and coming from where he came from, you know, most Cowboys fans know his, his background, eight-man football, all that, needed time to develop his body. I mean, if you look at a picture of him as a high school senior, uh, I mean, oh, my gosh, he, he, he looks like he, uh, you know, he skips meals and never yeah. saw the weight room. Real fan, uh, it, it, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And so he needed time to develop his body. And uh, his sophomore year, 2016, he saw plenty of snaps. He just it was just a zero in the starts column. But he saw plenty of snaps uh, when he was healthy, and then of course he battled some injuries. Uh, but then his his junior year, obviously fourteen starts, didn't miss any time, um, and then ultra productive. So uh, you, you, ideally, you'd like him to have more experience. But um, you know, maybe if he did, you don't get him at pick number nineteen, and so. Um, you know, you feel good about now where he is, where he's going to be. And I, for me, he, he checks boxes in the three key areas when you're scouting. Tape, traits, and production. I think he has all three. He doesn't have the, the career production you might like, but he had the necessary production last year that uh, gives, you, uh, gives you optimism that it's, it's not just a fluke. It's a guy that uh, is going to continue and get better and better. And certainly this is not to advocate that all players should come up and play eight-man football, but in today's <laughs> NFL, I mean, is there something to be said if you have this ability and skill of Leighton Van Der Esch, I mean, that puts you in space. You're, you're playing in space, and, and that mm-hmm. in some ways equips you better to make the transition because of that background. Yeah, that's a great point. And he's also a, he was a big-time basketball player in high school. Uh, you know, he averaged 30 points a game, 11 rebounds, uh, led, his, led the basketball team to back-to-back uh, uh, championships his junior and senior season. So he's just a really good all-around athlete. And then he yeah, had eight-man football. He actually played mostly quarterback. Uh, he also played linebacker on defense just because the, they needed numbers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but mainly he was known as being a quarterback on offense. So he was a big fish in a small pond, um, you know, where he came from in, in uh, Salmon River uh, there in Idaho. So, you know, he's a player who, uh, you know, Boise State wasn't sure what they had when they when they got him because he was a walk-on. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to recruit those guys at the smallest classification in Idaho, uh, but it's, uh, it's been fun to kind of – watch him grow up, and the Boise State coaches have nothing but great things to say about him. Uh, but I think your, your point is valid about, you know, kind of growing up in, in eight-man football and having to play different positions, playing multiple sports. Uh, you know, with a graduating class of 11, uh, you know, you, you get stretched pretty thin. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, Van Der Esch is uh, certainly talented, no question about that. So uh, what chance does Dalton Schultz have of starting this season at tight end? Do you, could you put a number on that? I don't know. Um, I, I think he's going to be part of the rotation. I think he's going to see significant snaps. I don't know if he's going to be, you know, the, the starter and uh, be the guy that they look to right away. But I, I do think that we're going to see plenty of Dalton Schultz this year. And, you know, I think there's, when you look at it, he's coming from Stanford, obviously, who has been a pipeline 
for tight ends uh, recently. Kobe Fleener, Zach Ertz, uh, Toilolo, uh, Hooper. Uh, the, the last, you know, since David Shaw took over, uh, it's been just a, uh, an assembly line of tight ends to the league. And so that, and you factor in Stanford's pro-style offense, uh, that Schultz, uh, Schultz is well experienced in line uh, in a run-first offense uh, as a blocker, and so I think you're encouraged by that. But he's only 21 years old. He's still very young. He's only 245 pounds. Uh, he still needs to get better in some areas before I think we see him as a you know down in, down out, reliable uh, every down player. But uh, I think you are you you feel optimistic about adding him to the rotation um, and what he can bring you. He was underutilized, I thought, a lot at Stanford. He never finished better than fifth uh, on the team in receiving, uh, so he wasn't necessarily used a lot in the passing game. But I, he looked good when he was doing it. He looks, uh, you know, he's a loose athlete. Ran a four seven five in a forty yard dash. Uh, I, he's not going to threaten the seam or be a deep threat by any means, but. He does a nice job at the top of routes, and you know he's he's not going to hurt you in that area. So I don't know if we're going to see Schultz as maybe necessarily that starter, but I think he's going to see significant reps, and I think he's going to be a big part of that rotation. Uh, if Jason Witten's no longer here uh, on the Dallas roster, then you know Schultz. I think he, I don't think I don't see much competition for him to emerge as maybe uh, at some point during his rookie year as uh, the best option they have. He kept saying well, when he was drafted, and we talked to him on the conference call, that uh, I believe he used this phrase two or three times, that he was underrated as a pass catcher. So like you said, he was underutilized. From what you've seen of him, he has really good technique as far as a receiver. Yeah, well, I think he's, just, he's very smooth. Uh, his release, uh, his routes look clean. Uh, it doesn't matter if he's running, you know, a dig, an out, uh, slant, whatever. They all look the same off the line. And so that's big with tight ends. A lot of tight ends tip what they're doing off the line of scrimmage. Um, and then when he's catching the ball, he has reliable hands. Uh, you didn't see a lot of drops on tape. Um, and then once he has the ball in his hands, he competes. He looks to finish. Uh, and so I, I, and I, and that same uh, finishing mentality you see as a blocker as well. He, he was an offensive lineman for much of his life before they moved him to tight end uh, as a, uh, was late in his high school career. So uh, he's a guy that I think uh, is, uh, like you said, he's underutilized as a tight end, but you see the traits that he can he can do it just fine and potentially grow into uh, more of a, a pass catcher role. All right, now we're, we know we're on a tight schedule here, so we want to uh, take a little uh, whirl around the NFC East, uh, and let's start with the Giants. What you, what you thought of just some, some quick thoughts on that draft? Well, anytime you get a player the caliber of Saquon Barkley, uh, you know they got better, and it's going to be interesting to watch that offense to see how they evolve together. How uh, Saquon Barkley? How does that help the prolong the career of Eli Manning? Um, how does that play out? You know, we can debate whether or not the value of a running back uh, at number two overall was the right move. Uh, I think maybe three or four years from now they're going to regret not taking Sam Darnold. But at the same time, uh, for the short term, I think they'll be pretty happy with Saquon Barkley because they're a much better team. And then getting Will Hernandez in the second round, um, I mean, that was as soon as we finished Thursday night, the first round, and looking towards the second round, seeing the Giants at the second pick, uh, my immediate thought was, okay, spoiler alert, they're taking Will Hernandez. He's that old-school blocker Gettleman would love uh, and, and really help that offensive line, help Saquon Barkley. So, uh, there's no question. I think the Giants got better uh, on offense. Lorenzo Carter, B.J. Hill on defense, two guys 
Uh, Lorenzo Carter is more of that athlete. Um, I'm not sure where you play him. I don't think he has the power to be a consistent pass rusher, but he can play in space, can do a lot of things. Uh, so hopefully they're creative with him. And then B.J. Hill just a, is a reliable uh, defensive tackle, a little more explosive than I expected, strong at the point of attack. Uh, he was a solid pick. So I think the Giants did very well uh, for themselves on draft weekend. Yeah, I think if nothing else, they made the team more Eli-friendly. To, mm-hmm. to transpose uh, <laughs> a phrase, Jerry's phrase, yeah, Jerry's phrases. So, yeah, and and the and of course the Giants had to do well in that draft. When you got the second pick, uh, you better be getting, you better be hitting home runs with those. And uh, and and a lot of people have said that Barkley may have been the best player in that draft. And I agree with you. Long term, maybe this is not the the ideal thing. I don't know what they think of Davis Webb. I don't know if they think he's going to be the answer or not. Uh, you know, I always thought. Davis seemed a little bit, uh, from a, from a physical standpoint, a lot like Sam Bradford, kind of a little thin. Uh, I'd be mm-hmm. a little worried about him being able to withstand the pounding for that kind of thing, but uh, I guess we'll see. Let's move over to the, to the defending world champions. Uh, what about the Eagles and what they did in trading up in front of the Cowboys to take Dallas Goddard? Yeah, not a surprise uh, when they traded out the first round uh, because they they were so uh, draft pick poor that that was uh, predictable to uh, try to gain more picks, especially on day two. Uh, And, you know, I thought going up to 49 to get Dallas Goddard was, I mean, they got a great player. I think Dallas Goddard was my top tight end, uh, a player that was deserving of first-round consideration coming from the FCS level where he was ultra-productive. I think there's a lot of Jason Witten to his game, really. Uh, because he's not—he's I mean, not a burner, but he's kind of that deceptively fast. Where uh, you know he doesn't look fast, but all of a sudden he's—he's uh, he's down the seam, and you know he's beating linebackers and safeties deep. Uh, he's and he's also an, uh, a very good inline blocker. So they got themselves a good pick. Uh, I thought they—they they thought they were getting in front of the Cowboys to do it, even though Goddard, uh, we find out, was not really in consideration at fifty. It really came down to. Uh, Stanford's uh, Reed, the safety, and, and Connor Williams, and they took Williams. So that became a, a non-issue. And then they did okay on day three. Uh, Avante Maddox is a nice nickel corner. Josh Sweat, boomer bust, pass rusher, has a lot of ability. And then I'm a big fan of Matt Pryor, the TCU tackle. I gave him a fourth-round grade. I know I, I was much higher on him than anybody else, uh, and they ended up taking him in the sixth round. But uh, Coach Patterson talked a lot about Pryor and his, uh, his value to that team, that TCU team, because he can play guard, play tackle interchangeably. He's a big man. Um, so I think the Eagles got themselves a pretty good player in the sixth round. Let me ask you about that because uh, and this, this stat came up that, that TCU since 2009, I think, has had eight linemen drafted, offensive linemen drafted. Texas has had one, and that was, uh, and that was the one the Cowboys just took. Are the are the Horn Frogs? Is Gary Patterson just doing a better job of recruiting offensive linemen, or are they doing a better job of coaching them up? Uh, probably both. And you know, a guy like uh, you know, Joseph Noteboom, who was the tackle from TCU when drafted earlier, Plano kid, who necessarily wasn't you know the, a five star guy that they identified. TCU identified. I uh, recruited some other schools, and they brought him in, developed him, and you see a really good athlete. He, I know he played a lot of defensive end in high school, so. A lot of development there, and a guy like Matt Pryor, who he—I remember he had—he had a lot of big-time offers, but there were some uh, qualifying issues with him academics out of high school. TCU, they stayed patient, and they were able to get him. I think in July of, uh, uh, of the, they couldn't get him on signing day; they had to wait, and they got him in July. So while all the other teams filled up the roster spots uh, in that recruiting class, 
Matt, uh, Coach Patterson waited on Pryor and it ended up working out for him. Uh, he was a three-year starter for them. Uh, they were able to develop him, and I think there's plenty to you know, 6'6", 345 pounds, a big man who uh, can move a little bit. And like I said, that tackle guard versatility is big with him. And uh, let's round it up with uh, the Redskins and the and their draft. But starting in the first, uh, we knew they wanted Vita Vea. They wanted that big nose tackle in the middle uh, to help uh, in the trenches, and he got taken at 12, one pick ahead, so they settled with Drawn Payne, who they were just fine with. I know they liked Drawn Payne a lot. Uh, in the second round, they had Darius Geist fall to them. Uh, now, this, this division now has, uh, you know, I thought this division could have uh, obviously Zeke and then Saquon Barkley, and I thought the Eagles at 32 overall in the draft could have taken Geist, added him to the NFC East, and here he falls uh, to 59 overall, and the Redskins get him, still add him to the division. Uh, he's, you know, if you're a Cowboys uh, defensive coach, you hate to see that. You, you don't want a game plan for a running back uh, of his caliber who runs with anger, runs with violence. Uh, he's just a tough guy to get on the ground. Uh, so the, the Redskins, we'll see uh, the character stuff is why he fell. How will that play out uh, over the years, uh, over the span of his rookie contract? Something that, to watch. Uh, Christian uh, in round three is a developmental tackle. We're not going to see him early on the field. At least we shouldn't. You know, he needs time to develop. Uh, and then on, on day three, um, I think one of the, the better players they got was uh, Mr. Irrelevant, Trey Quinn. Uh, yeah. Former LSU <laughs> player, went to SMU and, uh, was ultra productive. Uh, I think he's he's a poor man's Jarvis Landry. Uh, you know, put him in the slot. He's going to manipulate the middle of the field. He has strong hands. He's going to get open. Um, he's not going to wow you, uh, you know, with anything that he does. But he's just going to be consistent. So surprised he fell that far. And um, I, I think he might end up being the best player they took on day three. Yeah, I really liked him. The, the times I saw him play, just for the reasons you said, he's clearly a, a, a great candidate to be a slot receiver. And with the Cowboys. Trading uh, Ryan Switzer uh, to Oakland, I was a little surprised that they didn't, you know, they obviously saw him play a lot. They saw Cortland Sutton play. Uh, I was a little surprised that they didn't go after him. But I, I, I think that that is as good of Mr. Irrelevant as I have seen in a long time. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Definitely. Well, listen, it's been great having you on here. I know that you're on a tight schedule. And we appreciate you taking the time, Dane. It's always great to have you. And uh, I know that you're, you're ready to dive right back into next year's draft, right? Yeah, first I've made my made sure my kids and my and my wife were still here and uh, <laughs> made sure everything was good. And then after that was done, then yeah, time to start looking towards 2019. <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad you find out that you really still have a life uh, besides uh, yeah. <laughs> besides doing all this stuff and watching Phil. We, we do appreciate it though. Great stuff. Thanks, man. Thanks a lot, Dan. Anytime. Thanks, guys. You know, it's uh, interesting, uh, This, uh, you know, our, our, our good friend Tim Callishaw was not as impressed with the Cowboys draft as Dane was. Well, Tim Callishaw was not as impressed. <laughs> oh, wow. He took off a qualifier. <laughs> man, man alive. No, you know, uh, uh, the, the, here's the thing. Of course, you, you don't know how these drafts are going to go, and who, who knows that these guys are going to pan out. But when you're, when you're drafting 19. When you're at that position, and, you know, in some ways it's almost even better. That, that's kind of like a no-man's land there. Yes, absolutely. You know, it, it's hard to, it, at least when you're closer to the back, you can kind of group players together. If you're like 30, 31, 32, you can go, okay, we're coming right back in four picks, so we can do yeah, this. Right. When you're at 19, there's just too much in between when it comes back. And, and you know, so it's, um, yeah, they, uh, 
that position is always very hard to draft from, especially when you stay put. And they stayed put other than giving up the one six-round pick to get Tavon Austin. And I'm convinced that was because they did not get a running back in the fourth round. There was a run on – there was a run on running backs in the fourth round of the receiver, quick receivers out of the backfield running backs that they wanted to get. Yeah. When they saw that happen early in the fourth and they weren't willing to jump up and get into that uh, competition for those backs, they went, well, you know what? The Rams said we could have Tavon Austin for a six, so let's not even worry about running backs here. And, and that's when they went uh, with Armstrong in the fourth. Yeah, I didn't have a problem with getting Tavon Austin for a sixth-round pick who has almost as many carries as he has catches in the NFL, which is a crazy stat to me. And the carries are and really very, used very little as a receiver now. The, the carries have been on the upswing and the receptions yeah. uh, you know, down here lately. Yeah. But uh, it, it's incumbent on them to – and look, they keep saying that we wanted somebody in the Lance Dunbar role – Tavon Austin is is more talented than than. Uh, oh well, yeah, he was a first round draft yeah, pick. Yeah, yeah, and I don't want to minimize you know what Lance Dunbar did here, and, and he certainly gave them uh, a, a look and uh, defensive coordinator something to think about and uh, how he was used. And uh, but but Tavon Austin is a more talented player than Lance Dunbar. Yeah, I want to ask you about two trades the Cowboys didn't make. Players who were taken right in front of them. And which one of these are the because they didn't do this? Where the Cowboys going to regret the most? First of all, the fact that Derwin James fell that far all the way to seventeen isn't that, isn't that right? Yeah, he was uh, there just to pick. Yeah, here was a guy that as as uh, as he told us, as Derwin said, if the Cowboys want me, they're going to have to come up into the top ten to get me. Yeah, and of seven. Course, yeah, seven they have to jump out of seven. Yeah. He was saying that Tampa Bay was going to take, him. and then Tampa Bay traded out of that pick, which I guess that was their. And they still didn't take him. They still didn't take him. Yeah, I couldn't believe it when they traded back and they still didn't take him. So uh, that that trade or potential trade or the one obviously uh, when they they could have when Dallas Goddard was falling to them and the Eagles traded up and they took him right in front of the Cowboys and the Cowboys took Connor Williams. Now of course in the case uh, I think you have reported that the Cowboys have said that they were they the guys they got were the guys they wanted that they would they I, they obviously wouldn't have minded well, Derwin James and they wouldn't mind it uh, clearly Goddard. but they didn't call to move up to get him either now, no now that's not to say that they had Leighton Vander Esch rated ahead of Derwin James on their board my understanding is James was rated ahead of Vander Esch okay James had a first round grade unquestionably I, I believe Vander Esch was right on that bubble first slash second round grade that they kind of give yeah um, because they said seventeen eighteen yeah. Yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah, in in their mind, I think they wound up with like they wound up finally with fifteen first round grades. Is that right? Yes, yeah, what they wound up with. So, um, but they looked at it. They looked at the number of snaps of the position. I think they also, you know, we haven't talked a lot about um, the the Cowboys. We talk about it in season. We didn't talk a lot about it in this draft. The Cowboys are one and eight over the last three seasons when Sean Lee's not on the field. Yeah, um, and with Anthony Hitchens out, um, there was just a crying need there to, to still be competitive and, and plug some, you know, and again, I think Van Der Esch can play that uh, small, you know, weak side linebacker as well. I, I think he's more of a middle linebacker, and I think that's how he'll line up primarily. But he can play either one of those two spots, just like Sean Lee can. And so um, I think they looked at it, and while they said there may be a higher ceiling on James what are what are we going to have to, you know, we're going to give up one of our fourths to move up to get him. Right. So then we only have one fourth-round pick instead of two. Um, and then 
okay, how much does safety impact in our system? Yeah, we need a safety and, and we get all of that, but now let's weigh these relative weights. And I think they, in their system, they place a, a higher relative weight on a middle linebacker than they do a safety. Yeah, so, so it just wasn't enough. While Derwin James was, while it was tempting, and he was more talented than Van Der Esch, uh, what you would have to give up in order to move up to get him, does it make your defense appreciably better? Yeah. Well, or does Van Der Esch and staying there and maybe taking another defensive player in the fourth do that? I, I think yeah. to make Cowboys fans happy about this long term, uh, Van Der Esch is going to start making some Pro Bowls. You yeah. Know, oh, I, yeah. No, I, I agree. And yeah. and I think that's that. In the end, for me, that's the situation. You know, and I, well, I'll say this. You know, uh, Van Der Esch's uh, resume is pretty thin. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, at uh, Boise State, but really, sure. so was Derwin James' yeah. resume. Yeah. He, he, you know, people are basically projecting on him because mm-hmm. of the size, because of the athletic ability, you know, and all of that. So I think that's what that's what people are looking at here. And those so. scouting reports too. They say just an incredible athlete, but. He still has some things Very to wrong. learn about the nuances of the game. And, yeah. and, uh, yeah. and it's interesting, while Van Der Esch, you don't hear that as much about Van Der Esch at his position as you do James at his, as far as you know, picking up some of the right. uh, you know, techniques and fundamentals of the position. Yeah. So then let's go to the other pick uh, between uh, when they, they could have, surely could have uh, traded up one uh, to get Dallas Goddard, who was taken by the Eagles, when they traded up instead to get in front of the Cowboys. You, you, first of all, I want to ask, do you think that the Eagles thought that the Cowboys might take him? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah I don't think there's any question about that. And, and again, because they jumped in front of Dallas last year uh, to take Pumpkin, the, oh, uh, right. the quick, uh, uh, again, what we were talking about, what they got with Tavon Austin, the, the, the receiving uh, the quick back, scat back threat out of the uh, the backfield. Web back, as uh, oh, well, we kept hearing that, <laughs> which, which is Jones. unfortunate if you go too quickly. It doesn't. Yeah, sound... I thought that. What did he just say that? <laughs> I, 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 I punched Jock Taylor was sitting next to me. I said, did he just say that? Yeah, he he uh, did not say that. But okay. but when you say it quickly several times and you're yeah. not used to the phrase, you're going, whoa, <laughs> wait a minute here. Uh, so. But no, I you know so Philadelphia did it last season, and Dallas did want Pumpkin last year, and so uh, so now there's the assumption. Well, of course they were going to go Goddard there. I mean, how could how could a team that's about to lose Jason Witten not take the best tight end in the draft? Not only that, his name is Dallas. Yeah, how right. could you not take him? <laughs> but I I really do believe that uh, the Cowboys were not going to take him there. Like uh, like Dane said, it was between Reed and and Connor Williams there, and uh, and they actually did have a debate because the defensive coaches were the defensive court coaches were at the table initially when they were on the clock, so it yeah. made it look like it was going to be a defensive pick. Yeah, and, and then they went with Connor Williams, but. You know, the other thing here, and people will say, well, it's stupid. Why didn't Dallas want to take him there, given what they're faced with here? And the the timing of all of this is that, you know, I say that, that Dallas studied the tight ends, but they didn't do the intensive due diligence in that position that they did in safety, that they did in defensive tackle, that they did at wide receiver. They went through and they graded them where they thought they should be, but then they didn't take that next level of of due diligence to say, okay, let's get them in here. Let's uh, let's throw some stuff at them in our scheme and see how they adapt, what they say, how quickly they pick it up. And you know, they had twenty five visits, uh, pre draft visits. You could have thirty. None of them were tight ends. And you can say, well, why didn't they bring a tight end? You know, to for a visit. 
My understanding was once the talks escalated with Jason Witten to where he informed Jerry Jones that, look, uh, this is something I have to think about here, kind of helped me talk through this, which they have had several meetings since that point. It was right after the last day you could schedule players in for pre-draft visits. So if if this would have escalated with ESPN to the point a week earlier – I think you definitely would have seen Dallas because they had five picks in their pocket mm-hmm. or five visits in their pocket. I think you would have seen three tight ends in here pretty quick. But again, and this goes back to the, the discipline we were talking about. I, I think that they they had a good read on what they thought just strictly from a talent perspective, all these tight ends lined up. But they didn't overreact and go, okay, let's learn more about this guy because now we're going to have to come out with a tight end in the first three rounds. Right. I, I do think their their grand plan overall was somehow uh, – I don't, I don't think I was told this that, – that they wanted to come out of the first three rounds with a linebacker and a wide receiver. When those players were taken in the three rounds, they were open, but they felt they needed to come out of this draft with a linebacker and a, and a receiver – in the first three rounds, and they wound up doing that in the first and the third. Yeah, I, you know, it's interesting to me because um, clearly they needed, and that sounds so crazy when you have an offensive line like they do, that you, you would need another offensive line. But clearly, you know, we, we watched those games last year. We watched the Atlanta game, and what a fiasco that was. And they cited, I was, I was struck by how they cited the Atlanta game three or four times. Yeah saying that really had an impact in how they assessed this draft and what their needs were. Yeah. And the other side of it, everyone focuses on the offensive line, and, and rightfully so, with eight sacks given up yeah. uh, in that game. But the other side of that game was, that was the first of the three games that uh, Sean Lee missed and right. looked what happened to him on the defensive side of the ball. So when they're saying that Atlanta game had an impact, I don't think it was just on the offensive line. I also think it was at the linebacker position. What uh, do you – do you know if they had Dallas Goddard ranked at the top of their tight end board? I believe he was. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. See, that's. A, I'm wondering if you, you. We know how much stock that the Cowboys put on a on a blocking tight end. I mean, we we saw the disaster that was Gavin Escobar, a second round pick who who hardly ever even got on the field. Yeah. Um, and 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 of course the. Now that's their fault. One for taking him, and two yes. not incorporating him. Yes, absolutely, yes. absolutely, and and uh, I, I'm wondering if now I'm not saying that, that from everything that I read that Goddard's more of a blocker than Gavin Escobar was. I mean, they, the Cowboys conceded when they got him. Well, he's not a he hadn't been a great blocker, but you Goddard know. has more blocking. I mean, he has shown more of a willingness and yeah. has more of a frame to block than Escobar does. I yeah, believe that's fair to say. So uh, I just think this is going to end up being one of those things uh, when, when fans look back on this. It's like uh, okay, in the, in the last couple of drafts, you know, we kind of been spoiled by watching the Cowboys because you know there was that whole from 95 to about 2005 when nothing happened in the draft yeah you know basically they had about about three good players in that whole time yeah but uh, you look back at the the uh, the, the, the Zeke Elliott pick when they could have had Jalen Ramsey mm-hmm. if, instead you know would it have been better off if they had waited and and uh, taken another back later and taken Jalen Ramsey then you know certainly that could have uh, you know they could have taken Henry out of Alabama Who's, who's turned out to be a pretty good back. Mm-hmm. He's a different kind of back, obviously, than Zeke is. And I'm not saying he's nearly as good, but, you know, if, you're, if your idea is that you want to take that 
that one step downhill runner, then he is certainly that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are different things you can do, especially when Jalen Ramsey ends up being uh, as terrific player as, as he, he has been. Uh, so I think that that fans will look at this this draft and they'll and they'll watch Derwin James and his as he develops and as Leighton Vander Esch develops and as Dallas Goddard develops and, yep. as, and as no Connor question. Williams does too. It, it won't be as fair on the Connor Williams thing because he's an offensive lineman and uh, if the offensive line does well, everybody and he's just, surrounded by three Pro Bowl guys anyway. So, Absolutely. Yeah. So it'll be harder to judge exactly what he's doing and how much of a contribution he's making until we, we see if there's another game with eight sacks. Although, yeah, although you can say, too, uh, Ron Leary was not a Pro Bowl player and look at the interior of that line after yeah. he left and then right. you know, win. So um, that, that line was not nearly as good last year. And Jonathan Cooper was fine, but you know, Ron Leary was much better. They were a much more productive line with him. So. Oh, there's no question about that. So I think it's be interesting to me going forward here to, to see how this stuff works. I, I, you know, I just kind of was of the opinion that, as we talked about with Dane when he was on, about these guys, uh, I don't see, uh, you know, just from everything that I have read or seen, uh, that there's a lot of really high ceilings here. But there's a, the potential for a lot of these guys to play. And that has been the uh, the problem for the Cowboys. Even in the Will McClay era, um, they, they're doing a lot better job at the top of the draft. Uh, and they and they obviously did a great job getting a couple of good fourth rounders in Dak Prescott yeah. and Anthony Hitchens. Uh, but they have struggled in those rounds after one. And uh, and I think, you know... Day it, three, not a lot to show. And you can say, well, no. who does? Well, look at Seattle's defense all those years with Cam Chancellor and Richard Sherman were both Absolutely. fifth round picks. Absolutely. Well, Bobby Wagner wasn't a high pick You either. need to hit on those. You yeah. need to hit on those. Absolutely, you do. You got If you're getting all those guys and they're getting... And this is something I looked up the other day. It was really interesting to me uh, about... The number of rookies in play, uh, true rookies, if they, if the more starts they get, surprisingly, the better off you are. Uh, and and obviously that means that they're players. But I think it also, I think it says something about the infusion of young, fresh legs, guys who with a lot of enthusiasm. You know, yes, they're going to make rookie mistakes, but if they're talented no and you're getting them on the field, I think it does bring something to a football. You got to have that mix, and you've got you really have to kind of have it staggered. Where about every three or four years, you really need an infusion of, of talent, yeah. and if you have that right nucleus, it, it really invigorates it. Yeah, and, and that's what they're trying to. To hit on here, and they hit on it to a large extent in 2017. Uh, 16. 16. 16. Yeah. Now, yeah. 17, yeah, we're seeing on that one, and 15, maybe not so much either. Uh, so, that, yeah, they need to really, they need to have a, a, a lot of production out of this group. Well, it looks like that we're being invaded again by Rudy Bush, uh, who's come in, and uh, Rudy's, uh, Rudy's in the studio more than Evan is. Yeah, have you noticed that? Well, <laughs> That's not saying a lot, though. Evan's never here. He has a better camera presence than <laughs> yes, Evan, I can does. say that. Yes, he does. Evan in his clown car. All right. Well, listen, we've had a lot of fun today. We've talked about the Rangers. We talked about their young guys. We had our guest, uh, Evan Grant, on from uh, from Cleveland to talk about that with the clown cars honking we, all around we him. We should have Evan back on in you know, three or four weeks. I think that's a great idea, certainly before the trade deadline. Uh, yeah. We need to have him back. That'd be great. And then we had Dane Brugler talking about the Cowboys draft. Uh, so there's been a lot of stuff going on here, and we didn't even really touch too much on Jason Witten retiring. I guess that's uh, I guess that's official now. Not yet. No. Not yet. No. Okay. We're nope. close. Are we close? Okay. All red right. alert. There's an still on red alert. We're on we'll red alert for that. We're waiting. Con four. <laughs> We're waiting on that decision when when the ESPN steals the Cowboys tied in. <laughs> can't they can't they sue them for tampering on that deal? No. No, doesn't, doesn't work. Okay, all right. Never mind then. 
Well, then, for uh, everybody in here, to everybody out there, we thank you for listening. Bye. Don't forget to subscribe via iTunes. You'll get new episodes every week. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Until next time, sports fans, see you.